Hello and welcome to the All City All NBA podcast presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code All NBA because life's more fun when you're in the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void or prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, everybody. I am Will Gottlieb. I am the Chicago Bulls beat writer for CHGO Sports here at All City, and I am filling in for our guy, Adam Matos, today. But we've got our producer, Emma. We've got the great Tim Legler, and we are ready to talk about some Eastern Conference basketball. Tim, how are you doing today? Happy Monday. And yeah, some great games this weekend. We've got our weekend Warriors. Um, anywhere you want to take this thing from the get-go? Yeah, as, as I often briefly do on Monday, Will, when we first start this this off, everybody that knows me knows I'm, a, I'm you know probably even a bigger NFL fan than NBA. Um, and so the best news to come out of yesterday is that we finally are moving on uh, from Ron Rivera. So I'm pretty thrilled that we've made a coaching change in Washington. And uh, I wake up, as, as all Commanders fans do, the day after another disappointing season, you're already hopeful about next year. So I'm in a pretty good mood that this debacle of a season is finally over. Um, but having said all that, there was a really interesting big slate of games in the league last night, some interesting outcomes. Um, I'm looking forward to going over these Eastern Conference teams as well. We, Adam and I did the West last week. And uh, just looking at kind of the state of each team right now relative to expectations or relative to what their future looks like or you know how close they are to winning a title now because some teams, I think, are all in this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into all those games on all those teams. Well, the teams that are not close uh, are the ones we're going to start with. But first, let's do our weekend Warriors here presented by DraftKings. Um, I went with Paolo Boncaro, who was just absolutely dominant this weekend. 35 points on uh, last night, I believe, or two nights ago uh, against the Hawks. 117-110 win. 35 points on 13 of 29 shooting. Uh, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. And then on Friday night in 41 minutes, this guy's just logging Tom Thibodeau type of minutes here. Uh, in a 122-120 win over the Nuggets, he had 32 points on 8 of 21 shooting, but 15 of 19 at the line, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. Paolo is just so impressive to me lately, the way that he is commanding the game, the way he gets to his spots. It's very DeRozan-esque, very like Carmelo-esque, the way that he just plays at his pace. He gets to his shots. His footwork is fantastic. Um, and it just seems like some things are starting to come together for him. Uh, anything, we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on the Magic later on, here as we move through the East, but anything stand out to you from Paolo this weekend? Well, I just think every time I watch him, he, he just continues to, to, for me, to raise the bar for what you expect from him. He's incredibly mature physically. Um, he just, the, the way that he's built with the skill set that he has, he can play a power game. He can play a finesse game. He continues to improve his decision-making, his handle. I think he's got a great chance. And I'll be actually at this point, assuming Orlando keeps up this this rate of winning if they continue to do that all the way through the all-star break hey this guy deserves to be on the all-star team and it's it's you know when you look at it people might think that might be a big leap and it's the magic and they're better than expected you know this is Bancaro second year player but when you really look at break down the eastern conference um and look at who probably should grab those reserve spots i think he's going to make it and his overall offensive game will has just so far surpassed what I thought he would be this early. I, I loved him coming out. I thought he was definitely the most NBA-ready player in his draft. I didn't think he could be this good offensively on a team that was winning games this early. So, I, you know, listen, I, you can't go wrong with, with Bancaro. 
My choice is the Boston Celtics collectively. You can maybe go with Tatum if you wanted to individually for 38 against Indiana. But it's the team, and here's why. They get two wins, Utah and Indiana. And Utah comes in red hot. This was a team earlier in the year we thought, right, they're blowing it up. Everybody's talking about who's going to get Laurie Markkinen. Are they going to move him? And now all of a sudden they start winning some games. And now you're going, hey, wait a second. They might actually be in the mix for, you know, play-in spot or playoffs in the Western Conference. So they're red hot. Boston dispatches them, no problem. And then Indiana comes in having won six straight games, including 150 spot in their previous outing. And Boston shuts them down, holds them 101 points. And, And so for me, that was the most impressive game of the weekend because Indiana could not possibly be firing on all cylinders to a higher degree than they were. Very hard team to defend. Uh, the pace they come at you, the way they fan out, the number of threes, Halliburton's vision. They're just a team that's incredibly difficult to prepare for when you only have one day in the regular season to get ready for them. And Boston just absolutely suffocated them. Defensively, offensively, it looked more like a playoff game for Boston. The possessions were a little bit slower for them because that's what they wanted the game to look like. Tatum goes for 38 and they just absolutely smother Indiana, and, and they do the same thing basically to Utah. They average giving up 99 points a game in those two games. 99 points a game, Will, in today's NBA standards, it's like a half of basketball, it feels like some nights. I mean, teams are getting right, routinely 130, and they these are two teams that are scoring a lot of points right now, and Boston absolutely snuffs that out from the beginning. Great on offense as well. They show you why right now that's the best team in the NBA. So I went with the Celtics for my weekend warrior. Yeah, I think the Celtics are just continuing to obviously dominate the league, but just kind of impress me even relative to where I thought of them. Uh, The fact that they can win both ways. I think they're second in offense, second in defense right now. Um, They can turn off what you do well. It's it's just impossible to guard them the way they space out the floor, the the way that they make you make decisions on how to, you know, do you want to put a smaller guy on Porzingis? Uh, Do you like, where do you put the big? It's just so many decisions that you have to make going up against that team. And, you know, they have nights where the threes aren't falling. I have questions about their ability to generate points at the rim and at the free throw line. They're going to need both of those when the game slows down a little bit. But at the same time, it's just, you know, how do you stop them? And it it really does feel like at some points it's just make or miss league for them, Uh, which is always the case. But uh, to a certain extent, I mean, going into these playoff games, you want to have a plan to stop guys and stop teams. And if, if you just are banking on them missing shots, that just does not seem like a very productive way to feel confident going into a playoff series. Not totally um, true. Well, and that's, that's what separates them, Will, right now. That's what differentiates them. Um, it, it's, it, I don't think this is a league full of great defenses anymore. I don't know. I think the rules and the style of play with the number of threes and, and the lack of, of contact on the perimeter, it just makes it very difficult to guard guys. I don't think teams, there's as many you know, really high-level defensive teams in the league as there used to be. I'm not even sure. You need to be great defensively, and you just need to be, I think, solid, above average. You can't be porous defensively, I think, and win a championship. But Boston shows you that they still are one of those few teams that can ratchet it up when they have to. With with Between Holiday, Tatum, and Brown, Derek White, I mean, you put four guys on the court that can just do what they do defensively on the perimeter with the pressure they can apply, and then you've got an elite-level rim protector in Porzingis. I mean, that's a great formula. For, for modern NBA to guard the three-point line and still have rim protection. That's why, you know, Boston has kind of separated themselves a little bit here from, from other teams in the Eastern Conference. 
They absolutely have, and we will get to them in a little bit more detail towards the end of the show. We're going to go reverse order from 15 to 1 today, making sure that we touch on each of these Eastern Conference teams. But first, Tim, I know you wanted to get into some of the games last night uh, that happened around the association. We have Pelicans beating the Kings 133 to 110. That was a very dominant victory. I think they were up by uh, north of 40 points at some point. Uh, Mavs 115 over the Wolves, the best defense in the league. Uh, 115-108, and then the Lakers finally come away with a, a productive game against the Clippers, who have been red hot, uh, 106-103. I'll just throw it to you and let you take it where you want. Yeah, so first of all, just go the order you said it. So Pelicans-Kings, man, it's just an interesting game to me because, you know, I don't know what to make of Sacramento right now. Um, they've had some bad losses where they're, they're not competitive in games against some of the top teams in the West, and right now New Orleans is playing like a top team in the West. They certainly have the talent. Um, with with the three guys they have, you know, you've got top tier lead guard play in McCollum. You've got a big wing that can score, which I think you need in, in today's league, which in Brandon Ingram. And then you've got this unique power player in Zion. So Zion doesn't even play in this game. Brandon Ingram has a very pedestrian night, 15 points, and they still are up 40 at one point in this game. And Sacramento's playing their guys. Really bad loss for the Kings, but I think maybe even more importantly, Super impressive on the part of the Pelicans. The team is deep. Their role players understand um, exactly what they're on the floor to do. They're empowered to do it. Keep an eye on the Pelicans, man. They just continue to impress me. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting score, the differential there. When the Kings were a team you know, that you're looking at still in the mix in the West and they get smoked like that by a shorthanded Pelicans team, it's, I think it says a little bit of both, man. The Kings are an enigma, and the Pelicans very impressive right now. If they stay healthy, they could be a problem in the West. Um, and then the Mavericks, you know, against going up against that front line in Minnesota, and just to watch Lucas still just continue to do what he does. And, and, you know, he's not affected by any personnel in front of him, whether it's a perimeter player, you want to put a long wing on him that's athletic, doesn't matter. He uses his patience and strength. If you want to put um, a guy on him that, you know, really is cutting him off the spots, no problem. I can get into the paint, slow everything down, and use my size and my touch to score in the paint. Doesn't matter who's in front of them. That's an impressive win. And Kyrie played well in that game as well. So to get both stars rolling on the same night against the top defense, statement game, I think, for Dallas. And then the last one, the Lakers. You know, look, Lakers have been a mess. Clippers have been on fire rolling. Clippers are looking like, you know, they have enough talent to win the whole thing, if we're being honest. If everybody's healthy, the way Kawhi looks, they're good enough to win the whole thing. And the Lakers have been a complete mess. So, of course, the Lakers are going to win this game by three. And it just shows you still this is why the Lakers will always just continue to find themselves in the topic of every NBA conversation, even if they don't deserve it. Because there are a lot of teams that play the way the Lakers have played for the last month. You won't talk about that team. There's no need. There's too many other good stories of teams playing well or players playing well. They always end up in the conversation because LeBron's on the roster and they're capable of this. Um, because of those top two guys. So that's a very interesting game for the Lakers. And maybe, hey, maybe that gets them some positive mojo going in the other direction. So for me, on a on a heavy slate, those were the three games I think that stood out the most to me. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers, you're absolutely right that they're just going to find their way into the conversation. Obviously, it's the market size, it's LeBron, it's AD. Um, but the fact that they can get to that level, and we've seen it on, you know, for whatever you think of the in-season tournament, we've seen it on that stage. We, we obviously saw it last year in the conference finals. They are still capable of getting there. And as somebody who covers the Bulls, obviously the upside, not quite the same, but it's this thing that, you know, Billy Donovan and the coaching staff say all the time of 
the consistency piece. We've shown we can play this way, but can we do it consistently? And as a fan, as a media member, it's like, well, why can't you do it consistently? And I think that's the question that a lot of these teams are asking themselves as we talk about here, you know, the Pelicans beating the Kings, uh, the Mavericks beating the Wolves. Like there's so much parity in the league right now. Any of these teams could beat any other team on any given night. And I think that leads to uh, just some great discussion. Uh, I think there's a ton of space in obviously the Western Conference, probably a little bit more than the East. It feels like the East kind of top three are a little bit more locked in, but I think just the league is in a great place right now, the way that all these teams are just able to compete against each other at any given night. Um, I think it's it's just a great spot for the league. But Let me just make one more point on that game, just to show you how good the Lakers were defensively. And that's why I think also you, you have hope for them sometimes. It's not just LeBron and AD. Like if they had LeBron and AD, you know, they'd be dangerous. But if they couldn't stop anybody, you know, at all, then you wouldn't you would not get take them seriously as a contender with the teams you're going to have to play in the Western Conference playoffs. But Kawhi Leonard coming into last night, and this is amazing for a guard, had been over 50% from the field 15, 15, once, uh, 14 out of the last 15 games. So this is the efficiency with which he's operating, and, and they hold him to six for 17. And a lot of it was the initial defender on him. A lot of it was the help at the right time, the length at the rim. Um, and they force him to a six for 17 night. I mean, Kawhi Leonard does not have six for 17 nights from the field. Not when he's playing the way that he has this year, when he's healthy. Um, that's how good the Lakers were last night. And again, it just continues to make you realize you can't dismiss them. You can't dismiss the Lakers. No matter what their record is or how they've played for the last month, you know that they're going to have to be dealt with at some point if they are healthy when you get to late March, early April. And I think it also speaks to what you said before. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have the best defense every night, but can you turn it up and, you know, shut teams down in those important moments? I think they've shown the ability to do that. Uh, the teams that have not shown the ability to do that are the bottom feeders in the East. Let's uh, let's go through the Pistons, the Wizards, and the Hornets quick before we move on to the middle of the pack. Starting from the bottom with the Pistons, who are 3-33 and 33 on the year, 1-6 in the last two weeks. Last in net rating, 28th in offense, 29th in defense. And Tim, I believe in some of the young talent on this team. I was very excited to watch Jalen Duran and Asar Thompson and Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and these guys just kind of grow together. And I'm pretty disappointed with the way that their season has gone. I just had a little bit higher expectations for them. Um, you know, they're on pace for like seven wins this year. It's, it's just kind of remarkable how uh, bogged down things are. I assume you were kind of on the same page, just rare to expect a team to win 10 or fewer games. Is that kind of your sense too with the Pistons? Is just Yeah, the... look, I was on a bad team in Dallas in 93-94, so 30 years ago, and we won 13 games. And we we were we had eight wins with 11 games left in the season. And, and, and we were the youngest team in the NBA. We had one vet to start the year, Derek Harper. We traded him to the Knicks. We were super young, and we had some very immature guys, and – we were a mess and you know we we just we didn't connect with our coach who ended up only coaching one year and that was the only year he coached you know in the nba as a head coach so we were we were a mess and i can just tell you man it's hard to be that bad it is hard because you have 82 games right so you're going to get teams will coming in all the time that you're going to play that are tired right and back then you're talking about teams you played four and five nights so you're going to get teams that are fatigued you're going to get teams that don't, you know, get up for you, don't take you seriously, right? So you're going to sneak some wins. And it hasn't been the case for Detroit. And this is a team that 
has lost some close games during the stretch, right? So three wins, you know, maybe they could have seven or eight if they knew how to close a little bit. We wouldn't even be talking about it. We'd still say, hey, we're a bad team. We wouldn't be talking about historic ineptitude. And that's where they're at. And I got to look at the roster. I agree with you. They got some young guys that I like. The question is, do they have the guy? Because when you're going through this to this level, look, look San Antonio's not much better. But guess what? They have the guy that is going to be the franchise for this team going forward. The Sixers went through it for a number of years. And guess what? They ended up with Joel Embiid. They had the guy, right? That is that is good enough player as your best player to take you somewhere deep. Not sure about that. Some people might think Cade Cunningham is. I'm not exact, I'm not totally sure about that yet. I agree with you. No way, you know, you should be three and thirty-three. Maybe at this point you have ten wins, whatever it may be, and you're still last place in the Eastern Conference, but not like this. And I feel bad for all these guys because it's a terrible thing to go through. It's embarrassing. It it really affects morale. It's hard to maintain focus every day. I feel terrible for Monty Williams, who's one of the most respected guys in the league. To go through this collectively, I just feel for them. But but the big question I think coming out of this year is the development of the young guys and you know, do you have the guy to build around going forward that you think is the franchise player. And, and I'm not sure we have the answer to that yet in Detroit. Yeah, I was hopeful about Cade. I'm starting to waver on that as well. You know, I'm not even sure what else he could be doing differently right now. I mean, everything just seems to be going so wrong. And obviously each individual can always be better. You can always execute to a scheme better. There's always something you can improve on, but yeah, it's just kind of a dark place for them. And hopefully they figure it out. I hope that they don't make any crazy rash decisions at the trade deadline that can kind of mortgage their future. But when you talk about like these rebuilding teams, the Wizards coming up here next, um, you obviously, you, you got to find that foundational piece, but then it's how do you build around them? And, you know, for some of these teams, even if you do just get a ton of good young talent, if you don't have that number one guy, it can be really harmful. And the problem is there's not really that number one guy in the draft this year. So even though they're really on the skids here, it just doesn't really seem like they have a obvious solution out of it other than Cade turning into that guy. And I wonder if that will be the case. Um, Wizards six and 29 on the year in 14th place, one and six in their last two weeks, 29th in net, 25th in offense and dead last in defense. Another team. And to me, I kind of appreciate the fact that they pick the lane. Um, you know, there's so many of these teams in the middle that just are, seem so dedicated to the 10th seed. Um, for them to kind of divorce with Bradley Beal and pick a direction, obviously you want to be in the like OKC, a million picks every single year coming in and just unlimited potential, but not every team can have that. And so to go through it, it's definitely scary. I like some of the pieces that they've got. I think they'll make some trades for maybe Tyus Jones, Kyle Kuzma. They've got some abilities to generate assets, but yeah, I, I just kind of, you contrast that with some of these other teams that are just loaded up the guts with young talent. Uh, the Wizards aren't quite there. And another team that I thought might have potential to be a little bit better there, they do have talent. I really like Tyus Jones and the way that he can kind of orchestrate an offense. Uh, Jordan Poole obviously is not going uh, as the Wizards would have hoped, but, you know, six wins. I, I feel like another team that could be doing a little bit better than this, but their defense is just absolutely brutal. Will, this is the least attractive roster in the NBA, and I don't think it's yeah. really close. I don't think it's close because, yeah, you know, I just talked about Detroit, and we, we mentioned some young players that I still think have growth 
and the ceiling we don't quite know about. And you might have a franchise level point guard in Cade Cunningham. I mean, you know, that you at least have hope that they some of these guys could really turn into solid NBA players and you could build around Cade. Look at Washington's roster. Okay, so Jordan Poole, you go out and you get, he comes in, and, and I actually said this when they made the trade that Jordan Poole, if he played the rest of his career in Washington, let's just say he played another, I don't know, 10, 12 years, however many years you want to say, he's going to score 20,000 points in the NBA, and not many of them are going to matter. And that, that's kind of how he's viewed now. His, his plus minus is minus 340 for the season. It's the worst <laughs> in the NBA of any player. Um, that's basically averaging minus 10 a night, every night. And you are the guy you went out and traded to bring in. He can put up numbers sometimes, but he doesn't seem that interested this year because they're losing. It's probably affected his seriousness and morale. So he's not even doing the things offensively he did in Golden State. And he, we all know what he is on the defensive end. Kyle Kuzma, unfortunately, is taking a hit here too. The, the, they both come off like guys that are just going to get numbers and, you know, and it doesn't really matter. And then you look at the rest of the roster. I don't know what pieces of it you'd really want. Some of these guys you could plug into the eighth, ninth man on a contending team, and you'd probably – they'd be more relevant. You know, you could take a guy on this team averaging 12. You could have, have him average six on the Celtics or the Bucks or the Nuggets, and it's way more impactful. I think they're good enough to do that, playing, you know, 18 minutes instead of 30 on this team. But as a key guy on this team, it, it's it's – you know, they've basically shown – what they are and what they have. I just think this roster, there's nothing really to get you excited about the growth of any one individual player or where this might go. So this has been an epic disaster for the Wizards. There's no other way around it. Um, and the acquisition of Jordan Poole not only hasn't moved the needle, it's actually, I think, taken them in the opposite direction. So I clearly I'm pretty down on the Wizards. I just don't think yeah. if you look, if you asked 30 GMs in the league, What's the least attractive roster in the NBA right now to, to, you know, to have somebody have to go coach and try to win with? I think this would probably be it. Yeah, I think that's fair. The the rookie, Bilal Kulabali, I do like. I think he's got uh, some really interesting tools defensively. Um, got some, like, kind of advanced awareness of what's going on at, at certain points. Um, Denny Abdiah, I think, is having a little bit of a better season uh, shooting the ball at a higher clip. But I mean, neither of those guys are foundational pieces that you really look at as, like we're talking about the Pistons, the guy moving forward. I think they're a ways away from finding that, probably farther than any other team in the league. So it's going to be a couple of years here of just kind of wandering the wilderness, hoping for lottery luck, and we'll see if they can find any. Uh, let's move on to the Hornets, who are playing the Bulls tonight. They are 8-25, and 1-5 in the last two weeks, 27th in net, 26th in offense, 28th in defense, and... Watch them on Friday, and they are just one of the more boring teams. I think it's them and the Wizards for me as far as, like, least interesting basketball teams. Um, they've obviously got some players that, you know, probably could use change of scenery. Terry Rozier, uh, Gordon Hayward, who's been out. Mark Williams has been out. LaMelo's been out. So it's just kind of a bummer, frankly, um, for lack of a better term. Uh, but I think they, they do have a little bit more talent. I think longer term, LaMelo, Mark Williams – they have potential to be a nice pairing. I think they're still a ways away, but uh, any any notes on them? Look, I think for me, it all hinges on the fact that LaMelo Ball's been out. I mean, he hasn't played in almost seven weeks. Um, he's, he's not only super entertaining, because I think he's one of the more entertaining players in the league to watch, um, his combination of scoring and passing, 
is pretty special. He makes guys better. You know, he makes you want to cut a little harder, run a little harder because you're going to get rewarded because he's going to find you. He can also go for 30 if he has to on a given night. So that to me is the difference in their season because look, they're 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 eight and twenty-five. I you add Lamelo Ball to the mix. He, let's say he's been healthy all year. That team's probably up there, you know, and that who knows, 15, 16, 17, we're like somewhere in there. And now look, that's not world beater stuff, but that thrust you into like the nine, ten. Like you're up there at least where you're looking at this team is saying, okay, they're relevant, they're still playing for something. They maybe they're gonna be a play-in type team. Brandon Miller. I do like, and I think, you know, he's going to continue to get better as the year goes, and he just learns how to understand, play with the physicality of the NBA, and he gets stronger and more confident at this level. I like him a lot. They obviously didn't have Bridges for a good part of the year. He's a highly talented player who's had a lot of issues, personal issues to deal with. Uh, They brought on himself, and so that's a highly talented player. LaMelo Ball is one of the more talented and entertaining point guards in the league, that to me derailed their entire season. I mean, they do have some guys at Rozier and, and, and Hayward, and these guys, PJ Washington. They've got guys that I like. I just think everything kind of fell apart with LaMelo Ball not being there and giving them an identity for how they wanted to play offensively. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, they obviously won, I think, 42 or 43 games two years ago to get into the plan. So they have shown the capability of like putting together quality basketball and you know, you look at some of these other teams in the East who are kind of on the older side of the aging curve who, you know, maybe making the plan for them, they're on the downside. And so it's less of a, you know, productive season. Whereas, you know, the Hornets, I think if they had kind of gotten back into that space, that would have been a great piece of progress for them to be able to play some meaningful basketball. With you said, Brandon Miller, uh, I like PJ Washington. He's having kind of a down year. Uh, Mark Williams, Lamelo. Those guys are, are quality players, and I think that they are kind of more in need of playing meaningful basketball so that they don't get into those losing situations where morale goes down. Uh, I think that can kind of derail or at least slow down progress. So um, they they just need to like get themselves back on track. I don't know if it's too far gone this season, 8-25, as you mentioned. It's just maybe almost halfway into the season now. It's It's just tough to kind of – get back on track at least to get into the plan but um yeah i think they've at least uh, they're on the right track as far as like having some foundational pieces maybe not necessarily the number one guy but more close to i think what the pistons have in terms of young talent that they can move forward with um let's uh move forward into the lower middle class i guess you could say of the eastern conference there's a handful of teams uh the hawks the raptors the bulls and the nets all within half a game of each other in the East uh, between, I believe, the 8th and 12th spot. Uh, so we'll get to them. But first, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, who is giving new customers an exclusive offer just for NBA fans. This week, new customers can bet $5 and get 150 instantly in bonus bets, plus score an NBA League Pass subscription on us for the rest of the season. That is an incredible deal. There's some great action in the NBA tonight. We've got OKC minus 11 and a half at the Lowly Wizards. The Bulls are six and a half point favorites at the Hornets. They've got the Heat and the Rockets tonight. Heat are four point favorites. That'll be an interesting game. I really like what the Rockets have been doing. Alperin Shangun is just one of the more interesting players in the league. I love watching him. Bucks, eight and a half point favorites versus the Jazz. And then the Nightcap Suns plus six and a half at the Clippers. Uh, another game of, of, you know, the Suns are kind of up and down lately. 
Uh, we'll see if they can start to put things together as the Clippers bounce back from that loss uh, against the Lakers from last night. So to bet on all the action, download DraftKings Sportsbook now and use code ALLNBA, A-L-L-N-B-A. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting $5 plus an NBA League Pass subscription on us. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA, the crown is yours. Gaming problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.com dot uh, slash basketball terms. All right, as we transition back into, as I said, the lower middle class of the East, uh, let us first move to the Atlanta Hawks, who are 14 and 21, two and four in the last two weeks, 19th in net rating, sixth in offense. They can really score the ball, uh, but 26th in defense. And, you know, you may not need to be a top defense in the league, but you got to defend at some point. And that is something that the Hawks do not do very well. Um, I was a little bit higher on the Hawks this season. I think this sort of tier that they're in with the Raptors, Bulls, and Nets makes sense to me. But uh, 14 to 21, I just feel like there's too much talent there for them to be playing at this level. I love Quinn Snyder as a coach. I think he's really creative. And you hope that he would have been able to get a little bit more out of this team. Do you feel like Trey Young can be the like offensive engine on a very good team. I mean, they made it to the conference finals that year, but it's just been kind of a mixed bag and uh, a little bit of a disappointing one for the, for this season at the very least. Yeah, look, I, I agree. I, look, I think expectations coming in, you're probably looking at the Hawks as like a 500 type of team and they were nine and nine. They've lost 12 out of 17 and it plunged them now to a different tier. And I think to answer your question, that's what it always going to come down to with this team. I think it was a little bit of fool's gold a few years ago when they made it to the conference finals. Okay, they, they beat a Philadelphia team in the playoffs that year that obviously Ben Simmons had a complete epic meltdown in that series that led him to basically be shuttled out of town. Um, and, and they blew a 20-plus point lead at home in that series. They had, you know, Ben Simmons did not attempt a field goal in five fourth quarters of your as your starting point guard in, a, in an NBA playoff series. It's just bizarre, bizarre stuff. And Bede was banged up and didn't play well. And now, boom, here you go. Hawks are in the conference finals against Milwaukee. And people, I think, think, well, this is what Trey Young is capable of doing. And here's, look, he's a very talented player. He's a very entertaining player. He's always going to be box office because it's fun to watch smaller guards do some of the things he does with his shooting range, his passing. Bottom line is this, Will, when your top scorers – are all six five and under, okay? And 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 in Trey Young's case, you know you're pushing six feet, and he shoot you shoot in the low forties from the field. Dejounte Murray's like forty five. Bogdanovich is forty three. Trey Young is forty three. Like you, it just doesn't give you enough of a chance with when you don't have a higher efficiency of somewhere in your top guys. And Bogdanovich is mainly, mainly, you know, a three-point shooter, more like a specialist. He could do some things off the dribble, but he's mostly a specialist shooting threes. So that doesn't even equate. So it's really DeJounte Murray, who's a great mid-range player, and Trey Young, who's, you know, is so streaky with his shooting. 
look at the teams that you know they they if you want to contend in the East, look at look at the top players and the way they operate on Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia and you know Jalen Brunson even with the Knicks and just the way that those guys operate and play. I just don't think offensively it's going to give you a chance unless you are locked down defensively and they're not. You already touched on that. Very difficult to win when that is where your offense is coming from exclusively. Like three guards primarily are doing most of your scoring and they're not shooting at a 50-55% clip like a Kawhi Leonard as a guard. It's different the way they get it and it makes it very tough to be consistent. So I think they're too streaky. Trey Young is box office for that franchise, so I don't. I think he's the guy. It's going to be there. The question is, you know, can you ever formulate a, a roster around him that makes sense that'll give you a chance to actually contend? I'm pretty skeptical about that. And you look at, I mean, there's all these Steph Curry comparisons for Trey coming out of college just because of the shooting range. Um, but obviously, the way Steph moves without the ball, the way that their system uh, is kind of catered to ball movement, that's just simply not the case with the Hawks. It's very stagnant. It's very isolation, spread, pick and roll. And that's fine. But as you said, you have to be shooting at such a high level. You have to be defending at such a high level. And I just don't think, I mean, DeJounte Murray, I think, is a, a solid defender. I think he's a little bit overrated, or at least he's fallen off uh, a bit here since moving to the Hawks. Um, but with Bogdanovich, with, you know, DeAndre Hunter, who I think is also maybe a little bit overrated defensively. It's just very difficult to lock in every night. And so you're just relying on hot shooting and they have the talent to be able to get hot. Um, I love Jalen Johnson. I think the the breakout that he's had this year puts them in a much better position as it does with any team who's got like a young, talented player on the come up. But I think they've just got some decision decisions to make here ahead of the trade deadline, which is exactly one month from today. Um, and like these other teams that are kind of in this tier the third tier of the east there's just going to be some some tough decisions to make so recently there was some news that uh, i think from jake fisher at yahoo sports that trey young and jalen johnson are the two untouchables that's fine i think they need to figure out how they're going to build around those guys moving forward and you know jalen johnson has the versatility to be a defensive player who you can just kind of go a couple of different directions with in terms of scheme but uh yeah i think they've just got a lot of work to do to figure out who else is going to be worth keeping around. Uh, they've got a ton of young talent. I, I don't know why AJ Griffin has not played at all this year. I was a big fan of his coming out of college, um, but it just seems like there's been so much turmoil where not everybody's on the same page, where they're just not really able to execute on both ends well enough to be competitive. And so now you kind of have to make decisions. Let's... Uh, did you have something else you wanted to add on them or no, no, move no, on to the Raptors no, here? No, 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 I thought you were going to move All right. on to Toronto. They're the next team, yeah. Toronto Raptors. Toronto's up next. They're 15 and 21, uh, four and three in the last two weeks, three and one since the OG and Anobi trade uh, that brought in RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. They are 21st in net rating, 16th in offense, 18th in defense. So at least they're kind of playing consistently on both sides of the ball. I think that's at least the recipe, recipe to be a little bit better overall. What have you seen from the Raptors since they kind of picked the lane here? Uh, we'll see what happens with Siakam here at the deadline. But, um, I mean, they're playing much better basketball since that trade. What have you seen from them? They are, and I think this is one of those rare trades that I think actually really worked out for both teams. Um, you see the Knicks haven't lost a game since I don't know he's been a starter. And he was, he was exactly what I thought New York needed because uh, the thing with R.J. Barrett, he's, he's a guy that – needs the ball in his hands to go get into a rhythm and find himself offensively. He's not great off the ball. And you already had Brunson and Randall just dominating the basketball. It's just always going to be tough 
for R.J. Barrett and, and even a guy like Quickly, who can be instant offense off the bench, to really thrive there and find their ceiling. Um, so you bring in O.G. Ananobi, who is going to be a better, more consistent spot-up three-point shooter playing off of Brunson and Randall, and then he gives you a completely different level defensively. He can guard four positions on the court, five sometimes the way teams play small lineups, and he's a probably a, you know first or second team all-league defensive caliber player that you've now infused into your team that fits better off the ball. So the, the Knicks, I think, got exactly what they needed, and it looks like Toronto got what they needed. They needed more scoring punch, and I think quickly is the opportunity of a lifetime for him. He's going to love it. He's going to thrive. Um, R.J. Barrett's, I think, similar to what he was doing in New York, really. Um, but they needed more offensive punch, and they got it. The big question is going to be, what are they looking at as their future? They're clearly trying to make the transition more to Scotty Barnes and having the ball in his hands. But but what is his ceiling ultimately? Like he's a really, really talented all-around player. He can guard, can handle, can facilitate, can score some. But is he a franchise player? Is he a guy that can go get you 25-30? every single night and also facilitate like i don't know that about scotty barnes yet and i don't know that the franchise knows that so i think they got to figure that out i think between now and the trading deadline which will let you know more about what they plan on doing with pascal siakam and what they plan on building around scotty barnes if they think he can be that guy yeah i think they're kind of in a position where they've at the very least already started to make moves in that direction. Um, and so what they're doing, in my opinion, is giving themselves a chance to really figure that out, which I think a lot of teams struggle with is just committing to a guy or to a direction to just be able to decide. Because oftentimes with these teams, it's not just like you need to hit the home run and find the A1 option. It's can you like get you get take make the move that gets you to the place where you can then make the next move. And I really like this trade from the Raptors perspective because it locks in some good young talent um, I don't want to say like cost controlled because RJ Barrett is making a lot of money. You can decide uh, for yourself if you think that's a positive or negative asset contract. But I love quickly. I love what he can do in combination with Scotty Barnes, the, the defense on the ball. Obviously, with those smaller guards, they're always going to present some problems on that end. But uh, the scoring, the facilitating, he's been great. Um, RJ Barrett at 37 last night against the Warriors. So they've shown that they can put up points in numbers. And for a team that has been just like so bogged down and just offensive rebounds only as the as the source of offense it's kind of nice to give them a little bit of scoring and just breath of fresh air in that regard i, I really like that the direction that they're going um and we'll see what happens with siakam i think it's interesting when you when you think about guys like siakam versus zach levine who we'll talk about here next with the bulls um you know a, a lot of people are critical of levine because he's making so much money on such a long-term contract and they don't want to give up anything because that could just you know debilitate your future. Um, but at the same time, you also don't want to give up much for a guy like Siakam unless he's going to commit to re-signing with you. So it's kind of this interesting dichotomy where you don't really want to give up anything for anyone, of course. But if you want to make a trade for a good player, you got to figure out a way to give up an asset that the incumbent team would be interested in. So uh, interesting position to just kind of see how how guys trade value kind of moves depending on what their contract is. But for the Bulls who are 16 and 21, they're three and three in the last two weeks, 23rd in net rating, 24th in offense, 16th in defense. And, you know, on the season, their numbers are still pretty bad, but the way that they've been playing recently, their defense has ratcheted up. They're looking a lot closer to that top five, top 10 defense that we saw last year from them. Um, offense is still, I think, a work in progress. 
they've, they have the ability to score efficiently, but, um, you know, I think a lot of that just has to do with DeMar DeRozan drawing two to the ball, making the right plays and like, can the other guys around you score? And we've seen obviously a huge amount of growth from Kobe White, Patrick Williams, Ayodisumu have all stepped up in Zach Levine's absence. Now Zach Levine comes back and he's questionable for tonight's game uh, with a shoulder injury, which is new. And then obviously the foot, which held him out for over a month. So um, I'll just leave it for you. I talk about the Bulls every day for hours and hours. I know we've got some Bulls fans in here uh, watching. And if you are in the comments, please hit the like for us as we get into the Bulls here. Um, but yeah, just curious from your perspective, what you've seen from the Bulls of late, because I do think, you know, I don't, I don't want to like wipe away the first 19 games where they went five and 14, but they're just a different team right now. And I'm curious what you're seeing from them. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, and you would probably know this even better than I did, like how's the perspective changed internally about what they had and what they have going forward. And Zach Levine's name came up right off the bat. I mean, this team looked like they had a lot of issues early team meeting after the first game. You know, you're going, wow, never heard of that before. That did not sound like a very healthy situation. Uh, Zach Levine goes out, they start winning games. I'm not indicting Zach Levine. He's a super talented player. I think he could find a landing place on a contender. I think Zach Levine can, you know, he's that good of a scorer that I think he could be somebody to go to a, a winning situation and look like he was pretty much out the door. I don't know what they're viewing it as now. Um, Kobe White's been fantastic. DeMar DeRozan is clearly the guy that is the main driving force of their offense. Um, and then they've got some younger type role players uh, that are plugging in. So I'm just curious to know what internally has changed, if anything, from you know six weeks ago when you looked at this team and it looked like this was, you know, basically wheels coming off the cart. Uh, it's going to be a fire sale here to, to, to the entire roster, starting with Zach Levine. Has that changed at all? Did, have they viewed that differently? Or do you expect Zach Levine, you know, to go at the trading deadline? Or do you think he'll be a bull after? It's tough right now. The market is not looking very uh, interested in Zach Levine. Uh, there's been a ton of reports from Woj and others saying that there just isn't a market. I've kind of heard the same. You know, it's really a question of like how motivated are they to move off of him? I think both sides are looking for a new home, but are you doing that at the expense of, you know, assets? Because at, at a certain point, he still does represent one of your only avenues to uh, to operate from a position of power when it comes to assets in the future. And if you're so motivated to make the 10th seed that you're going to forego the chance to maybe at some point pick up some first round picks or young players, then what does that kind of say about the way you're building your team for the future? Um, the way that Kobe White and Patrick Williams and Ayodisumu have stepped up in his absence, I, I think does change stuff for the Bulls in their front office. Um, they're seeing the growth of the, those young players as guys that you can you know, build around, build with at the very least. Uh, I don't personally think that they're really set up to compete at a, at a really high level if that's all they have. You know, if DeMar DeRozan's 34 years old, he's a free agent, are you going to re-sign him for a two or three year deal the way you did with Vucevic last summer? And, you know, does that slow things down in terms of kind of finding that yeah. next era? I, I think the the team is very excited about the growth, but I have my questions about what that, you know, how, how much does that really change what they should be doing versus kind of what they're, they are doing because of who they think they are. So that's my big question for them ahead of the deadline. I know teams are interested in Caruso. I think it would be wise to move on from him. But again, they're playing just well enough that they're kind of accomplishing their goals. And so to me, it's this larger question of, you know, are these teams in this middle ground, the Raptors, the Nets, the Hawks, the Bulls, is it worth like really investing in being the 10th seed? 
personally for me probably not but uh that's it's not my money that i've got to uh you know the ticket sales that i'm losing out on so it's just an interesting question but to, to answer your question i think absolutely the the spirits of the team has changed with the way that they played since levine went down and you know there's a month left before the deadline he's going to have to do a lot to rehabilitate his trade value no no question and look i, I think they, they're kind of in the same boat and with this next team. We're going to talk about the Nets where it's you feel like they're kind of in, in NBA purgatory because you're talking about, you know, and, and in the case of the Nets, they obviously blew up that catastrophic failure that, that, you know, that pairing of Durant, Kyrie, and Harden was. They had to go in a different direction. They went with, with younger guys, more high-character guys, and the, they're in purgatory because they're not, they're not close to the top teams in the Eastern Conference, right? But they're certainly not at the point where you go, okay, let's become the Pistons or the Spurs and, you know, lose every night. And then, you know, hopefully the ping pong balls bounce the right way and we end up with the franchise guy in the draft. They're not there either. They're like competitive enough that they're going to be in the mix. Um, and in the case of the Nets now, you know, I look at them and say, look, I love Mikhail Bridges. Love him. Both ends of the floor. But if Mikhail Bridges is your best player, how good are you really? You're probably a 500 to sub 500 team. Um, if he's your second best player, you're probably a solid top six seed in in your conference. If he's your third best player, you could probably win the whole thing. But if he's your top guy, uh, I just think in terms of offense generation and dominance, when you look at the top teams in this league, their top guys are scoring or drawing so much attention, they're facilitating and they're just their gravities. Uh, gravitational pulls on the defense creates all kinds of opportunities for guys. I don't know that Mikhail Bridges, even though he's improved his mid-range, he's improved off the dribble, he's not in that category as an offensive player. He's absolutely in that category as a defender. But you're looking at him differently when he's the top guy in the food chain. And so for the Nets, I look at them as the same way. They're just one of those teams that's kind of stuck in the middle. They've already re-blown, rebuilt their entire roster and blown it up. Now they've got to look at, well, where do, where are we in the landscape of the East and how far are we away from those top teams and will we be close anytime soon? And that affects the decision-making that you have at the trading deadline. They're such an interesting team because they are kind of built to inherit a star. I mean, if you look at the the supporting cast there, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Cam Thomas, who can just be that you know spark plug bench scorer. Um, we'll see what happens with Ben Simmons. I'm not too optimistic at this point, but they've just got some really nice – Role players, Dayron Sharp has really stepped up recently. I'm really liking what he's doing. Obviously, Nick Claxton is a really effective rim protector, but they've just, they're missing that number one guy. And they're not in the situation like the Pistons where they've just got a ton of young talent. It's like they're kind of ready made to be the supporting cast now and finding a LeBron or a Jokic or a, you know, Giannis, that's impossible to do. So I think it'll probably have to be with trade. They have, they have some uh, nice pieces from the Suns. Uh, from the Rockets and other teams just with picks uh, moving forward. They're kind of out a bunch of their own picks from the KD trade, but um, it's just, it's an interesting case study in building a roster. And I'm really curious to see where they move forward. Uh, but let's move into this next tier in the East where we have five teams that are all within a half game of each other. We've got the Magic uh, who are in fourth place at 21 and 15, the Cavs fifth place, 21 and 15, the Knicks 21 and 15, the Pacers 20 and 15, the Heat 20 and 15. So let's start with Miami, who are three and three in the last two weeks, 18th in net rating, 18th in offense, 13th in defense. Um, what's what's your view of, of how things are shaping up in Miami? They're dangerous. Uh, 
it's amazing because of all the talk around Milwaukee and Boston and even Philly, the, you know, the different look with Maxi instead of Harden it being Maxi's team and how good they have been. They just look more like a viable threat. So despite all three of those teams getting all that attention, you look up here and the Heat, who weren't talked about at all the first four, six weeks of the season, they got to a slow start. They had some guys hurt. You look up and here come the Heat. And it's like, wow, you know, do you really want to play the Miami Heat? Any of those top teams? Is it you want that to be your first round matchup or your second round matchup? The Miami Heat, uh, as well coached as they are, as tough as they are, as playoff tested as they are, a big time, you know, clutch performer in Jimmy Butler who can settle matters if it's tight. No, they're dangerous. Uh, Tyler Heroes had a great year. Bam Adebayo's had a great year offensively. Uh, Duncan Robinson's had a resurgence there. So to me, this is a very dangerous team that you can't sleep on. I don't think they put as much relevance in the regular season as some other teams. Um, their thing is. Let's just continue to get better and build and find our rotation and know that when you play the Heat, when you get later in the year and it matters, if you play them, you know they're going to be ready. They're going to be prepared. They're going to play hard. They're going to make you earn every inch on the court. Um, and that's just not a team or a franchise that you want to have to go up against, no matter what their regular season looks like. And that's how I view them right now. They're lurking beneath the surface, and they're starting to play better lately, and I would not be shocked – the end of the day, you know, you see the Miami Heat right there challenging those top teams, whether it be, you know, they give them a six or seven game series in, in you know, in the first or second round, or they win that series. Not going to shock me because it's Eric Spolstra and it's this group of guys. And I just believe in them to that extent. They're winners. The meanest, most nastiest, hardworking team in the NBA. And what I love about the Miami is obviously, like you said, they've got Jimmy Butler who can go get you a shot whenever he wants. Uh, who can, you know, hit a step back jumper to beat the Bulls at the buzzer. Um, but they also just get so many system points. And I think that's uh, something that you don't see from a lot of these teams where they can generate baskets easily for anyone, whether it's like coming off these DHOs for Duncan Robinson threes. Uh, they just have so many different ways to score and then they can also slow it down. I think th that's the kind of versatility you really need to have. One, if you're going to kind of I don't want to say coast through the regular season, but not take it maybe as seriously as some of these other superpower teams. Um, but then, you know, to have that versatility of, you know, how do teams prepare to guard that in the playoffs? I think that's what makes them so dangerous is that they can beat you in so many different ways. Um, so I'm always a fan of Miami and what they're able to do. Uh, and speaking of teams that are able to put up a lot of points and score in a bunch of different ways, we have, the Pacers here in seventh place, who again are 20 and 15, six and one in the last two weeks, just lost to the Celtics. Uh, first in offense still, 15th in net, 27th in defense, but they're ninth in defense over the last two weeks. And they're really ratcheting things up on that end. Tyrese Halliburton is just an absolute genius. I believe they had 50 assists on 60 made baskets on Friday night. Uh, they are just a, a very special offensive group. Um, do you think that's the kind of thing that can work in the playoffs though. I mean, there's this adage about you know, the game slows down in the playoffs. Can you get a basket in the half court? I, I still think part of that is true and they're, they're going to need somebody who can really go get you a bucket when things slow down. But I also wonder like, is it actually going to slow down or are they just going to impose their will on everybody that they play and run you up and down the court? Well, I think the difference is going to be for them in the playoffs is, is even more so than saying, Oh, it's just going to slow down automatically. They're not, they're not going to try to let that happen. They're going to continue to try to play that way. Um, it's really more about the fact that a team now has one team to focus on to figure out how to do a better job in getting back and matching up in transition, 
how to not over-rotate when you go to help on Halliburton's penetration because I think that's where teams get in trouble in the regular season when you've only had one shoot-around to talk about the Indiana Pacers. You know, maybe you've had a film session. That's all you get in the NBA in the regular season for your next opponent because you just played somebody last night. Now here come the Pacers. Very tough pace to prepare for. Very tough to execute the communication you have to in matching up in transition. Very difficult to do what I just said, which is not overcommit to Halliburton's penetration. Because, look, if, if you want to make Tyrus Halliburton shoot a ton of shots in the paint, runners, floaters, and finishing at the rim, see if he wants to go for 40, I think that's your best option to try to play them. Instead of over-rotating and now, boom, he's firing these passes to all these different three-point shooters, and they just absolutely bomb you out from the three-point line. So both of those things, you know, defending in the first five seconds of the clock and then also how to guard against him and the way he runs ball screen and penetrates, when you can go game after game and adjust and tweak and you're focused on one team, that makes it easier to guard them. And that's why in the playoffs it will be a different animal for them when you get the full attention of an entire coaching staff, an entire roster, game after game, making adjustments and trying to clean it up. Um, but in a regular season, they're a real problem for teams to have to deal with and guard, as, as evidenced by, like I said, six-game six winning streak, average 133 points a game. And then the Celtics shut them down. Um, they're going to win a lot of games in the regular season. They're going to be a very fun team to watch. They're going to they, – they, I mean, they look – they're in running for a top-four seed in the East. I don't think they'll get there. I think they'll probably, probably more, more likely five or six when it's all said or done, which means, you know, you five seed, maybe you get the Knicks, maybe you get the Heat. You know, if you're a six seed, you're probably going to have to go play Philadelphia. And now it's going to be a little bit of a different animal playing those top teams in a seven-game series. But they're definitely dangerous. They're one piece away. And, Will, I thought they should have gone, gone after OG Ananobi hard. They've got a surplus of shooting on that team um, and scoring. To go get a guy that maybe is one step down as a scorer to elevate your perimeter defense to that extent but fits in systematically because of the number of threes they shoot, could have been a perfect fit for Indiana, and we take them a lot more soon. Now, you're right. They are better defensively lately. I watch them now. They're scrambling and trying, like much harder. The effort's better. They're fast on the perimeter, so they're trying to get to the three-point line and cover for each other, and it's been a dramatically improved product defensively lately. If they can keep that up, this team has a chance to end up anywhere from fourth through sixth in the Eastern Conference and be a team that won't be fun to play in a playoff series. Yeah, it's really – I like what you said about – you know, having the time to lock in on them and sort of spend more energy figuring out how to slow them down. That's going to be, I mean, it's easier said than done for sure, but I think it's something that, you know, during the playoffs, it becomes a bit of an easier task just because you have the time and the resources to be able to invest that. I think Siaka would be a great fit for them. I Frankly, I think Zach Levine would be a great fit for them. I mean, they're not playing a ton of defense anyway, uh, but just the ability to go get a basket in the half court, I think is really going to help make them more difficult. You know, they're not going to be completely turned off their speed, but uh, they are going to need some of that, I think, when things get uh, a little bit more stagnant, um, if they get uh, if they are slowed down at all. Um, but that's the Pacers in seven. Next up, we've got the Knicks at the sixth seed, 21 to 15 also, five and three in the last two weeks, have been really solid since they traded for OG and OB, eighth in net rating, ninth in offense, and 14th in defense. And to me, it's like, Tibbs teams are never going to be, you know, just completely out of it defensively, but they've really ramped it up there. And I love what OG brings to them um, in terms of, you know, helping kind of pick up the, 
the number one option on the other team. Like they've got guys that can do that. I like Josh Hart a lot. Um, DiVincenzo is a nice defensive player, but they needed a number one guy on that end. And I just, I really feel like OG, you know, I think he's a little bit overrated offensively. I think he, um, that just the, the league kind of gravitates to those types of players, that archetype of three and D wing who can shoot and, you know, defend at a high level. That's a really valuable player to have. And I think he fits perfectly. Um, you know, you, you kind of touched on the way that they've been playing, but anything, anything more you want to add on the Knicks as they kind of uh, see what happens here with the next couple of weeks before the deadline? Well, if I had to put money on it now after this trade and, and, you know, the, the fact that they do play hard every night, I would bet money that they end up four seed and pushing Philly for three. It's not going to shock me. They're not far behind Philly, and they've got a long way to go now that they have Ananobi. They, you know, I think they're going to get better and better. I'm looking at their schedule, too. The next eight games, they don't play a single top-tier team um, in that stretch. So, you know, this is a team, the way that they play – and the way that they're going to come at you and physically play, and, and Brunson is a legitimate star, top-shelf player in this league. You, you expect it from him every night now, and he delivers just about every night. I think this this is a more comfortable space for Randall now without R.J. Barrett there, and the two of them sort of, you know, I think not really necessarily fitting all the time as ball-dominant type players to score. And Ananobi's a different animal. So Hardenstein's been great. Um, they've got role players that bring energy I think Quentin Grimes is important. He needs to make shots for them. Uh, they need to get that supplemental offense if you don't have quickly out there. They need to get it from somewhere. And I look at their schedule coming up here soon, and I think you're going to start to see the Knicks start to climb. And when it's all said and done, they're going to host, I think, a first-round playoff series um, as a four-seed or potentially, like I said, even challenge Philly for the three. That's that's how much I like the Ananobi trade in general. And I think the Knicks, I have a lot of respect for them, the way they play. They go about it every night. They're going to make you earn it. That's Tibbs for you. I'm glad you brought up Hartenstein. He's been fantastic. They have really have not lost a step uh, in that spot since Mitchell Robinson got hurt. Um, as we move here into the top five, we've got the Cavs also at 21 and 15, four and two in the last two weeks, 14th in net, 20 in offense, ninth in defense. And they've been without Evan Mobley. They've been without Darius Garland, but they've stayed afloat. What have you seen from them? Yeah, you know, they're a hard team to gauge. I had higher expectations based on, you know, getting Mitchell last year and they, you know, they were a team that, you know, really good in the regular season a year ago. I think it's hard to judge them because all the time these guys have missed. I mean, all of these guys have missed time. Uh, Mobley's missed a ton of time. Garland's missed a ton of time. Karis Levert has missed time. Donovan Mitchell has missed time. Um, these are the top guys. So I need to see a sustained stretch where they're all healthy to get a better feel for what they are, because I really like their combination of bigs and then scoring guards. Like they had a little bit of everything and they could put a bigger lineup out there to defend with Mobley and Jared Allen. Uh, they have, I think, more than enough scoring. They added Struess, so they improved their shooting. I, I just, I like their pieces. Hasn't really come together this year. Shocking, really, that they're not actually more buried than they are, considering the amount of time these guys have missed. So, I'm, for this team, I'm reserving judgment. I say it's only fair to let's give us a month of health with everybody out there, and you're going to get a better idea how they stack up, particularly as it relates to teams like Philly and the Knicks and the Heat and those teams. We, we know about Milwaukee and Boston, although I think Milwaukee's got issues. We'll get to that in a second. But I, I don't know. I just think Cleveland's very hard to judge because of the time missed. Uh, Craig Porter has been an awesome pickup for them. Somehow did not get drafted. He's been just really steady um, in Darius Garland's absence. And then Max Struess, I think, you know, I mentioned this with the Heat, like just generating system baskets and kind of like allowing the rest of the team to not take plays off, but uh, to sort of unburden Garland and 
Donovan in those situations, I think has really helped uh, diversify their offense. So I'm a fan of them and agree. I mean, they just need to be healthy for us to really get a sense of who they are. Uh, but the Magic, who are 4-4 four and four in the last two weeks, 21-15 to 15 on the year, 12th in net rating, 21st in offense, 4th in defense. I mentioned Boncaro. He's really taken a step forward. He's averaging 32 points a game uh, over the past month plus. Um, you know, they are an interesting team because I was high on them coming into the season uh, in a lot of ways because of how well they played last year with Markel Fultz. But Fultz has been out. I know he played last night for the first time. I think he missed over 20 games. Um, but they've still been able to uh, just be so dominant defensively and get enough offensively to be really competitive every night. Um, do you think that they're that this is really who they are, that they can be this kind of team come playoff time? Or are they still, you know, some time and maybe a piece away? They've impressed me that they're going to be good all year. This isn't like some you now the hot start. That, that's kind of how I felt about them beginning of the season, and they've proven they're definitely more than that. Ben Kara flat out's a stud, and he got there quickly. Franz Wagner's a better NBA generate offense generator than I thought he could be, and it's interesting because they don't have a natural lead guard. All their guards play. None of those guys are natural floor leaders, like organizers and like facilitators. They're all kind of combo guys, whether it's Cole Anthony or Suggs or Fultz. Right, Anthony Black, all these guys. Yet here they are, and they do it every night. Look, and they, they are good defensively, and they've got great chemistry. And that matters a lot. And I, you know, give credit to the coaching as well. I don't know if they can hold on. I think one of the reasons I think they're gonna maybe slip a little bit is because I don't think we've seen the best out of the Knicks. Um, I, I still think the Indiana, Indiana Pacers are a team that's gonna be better as the as the year goes on. I think the second half will be better for them. We haven't seen the best out of the Cavaliers. So when you look at those three teams that are right behind Orlando, makes sense that maybe you're going to see Orlando, even though they might not drop off in terms of their winning percentage dramatically, those other teams, I think, still have their best to come. And, and I don't know that maybe we've already seen the best out of the Magic this year. We kind of know what they are. There's still, still so much more room to grow for those other teams that they might get caught a little bit and, and see them slip in the standings. But I do believe in what they have, and I certainly believe in Bancaro as an absolute stud player should be in the all-star game this year. Yeah. They're such an interesting team because they're just so loaded with guys. Like they don't really ever have to play bad players. Yeah. I think that really can True. help keep you afloat during the regular season. Um, Gogo Badatze, I, I thought was fantastic with Wendell Carter out for an extended period of time. Mo Wagner has been great. Uh, Cole Anthony has really stepped up. Jalen Suggs has figured some things out. I think they'll probably need to consolidate here at some point soon. They need to add some more shooting and playmaking, uh, but they have just really impressed me. And when you can defend like that, and when you can, you know, get buckets in clutch situations, uh, when you've got a guy like that in Paolo, I think they're just set up to be very competitive. Now the question is, can they, is it rushing to try to make that move to get them into that you know higher tier? Do you want to just be a little bit more patient and let them grow? Uh, so very fascinating things to come with the Magic as we move into the top three, uh, the contenders in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we're starting with the 76ers who are 23 and 12, three and four in the last two weeks, uh, but they're second in net rating, fifth in offense, fifth in defense. Uh, Embiid has been in and out of the lineup with the ankle, um, but he's also just as dominant as you can possibly imagine. I mean, having a much better season than his MVP year last year, uh, the way that he just controls the game from middle of the floor, you can't double him because he'll find the right guy. Uh, and he's just so automatic in the mid range. Um, just very impressed with them. And obviously a lot of that speaks to the growth that Tyrese Maxey has had. Um, where do you go with the 76ers? 
Yeah, look, I think this is the most uh, legitimate threat Embiid has had since he's been in Philadelphia, this team, to really threaten the Eastern Conference. Now, ultimately, will they have enough? Will he stay healthy enough? I'm a little concerned. He's, you know, he's missing time, and he's been banged up. It feels like year after year in the postseason, he's got some sort of physical issue going in. If, if, if he's fully healthy going in, with the way they look and, and clear definition now offensively and how they're going to play, I think the, the, the weight got lifted with Harden being moved. Maxi gives a breath of fresh air, and B totally trusts him. They his speed gives them an element um, that's just different. I mean, there's quick guys in this league, and then there's Maxi. You know, he's just different with yeah. his burst and breaking down defenses. And Bead is a one-off. There's one Joel Bead in the league, and they have him. So you've got these special offensive players. For me, it's going to come down to Embiid's health, and do they have enough shooting? Outside of Maxi, this is not a great three-point shooting team. So you wonder, will that be enough when you go up against teams like Boston that can make 20 on any given night, the Bucs that can make a ton? You know, is, that, is it enough to play with those teams? Time will tell. But I, I think for me, I feel better about this team than any of the previous teams that Joel Embiid has been on in Philadelphia as maybe – making a legitimate run to the conference finals, particularly the way the Bucs have looked lately defensively and a step back they've taken defensively since the team that won a championship. Maybe that's the, the void that Philadelphia can grab. And, and if you can get into the, that matchup, the 2-3 matchup, and you get Milwaukee in the second round, I, mean, I think that's a legitimate chance for Philly to get to the conference finals for Joel Embiid's first time. And I think they're also primed to make a big move here if they want to. They've got a ton of expiring Contracts. They've got, I think, four tradable draft picks. Um, what do they do with Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris and uh, Nicol uh, Nicholas Batum has been amazing. I just cannot imagine possibly anybody shooting the ball faster than he has. The way that he shoots without a dip, um, just, <laughs> just incredible. Watching the the speed of his release, uh, he's been great for them. So we'll see if they make any moves. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's really all about Maxi and Embiid and the way that they're playing together. They are incredibly dangerous. You've mentioned a couple times here about the Bucks, and um, I don't want to say not believing in them, but they are 25 and 11 in second place in the East, ninth in net rating, and their offense has been fantastic, third in the league. But some huge question marks defensively. When you lose Drew Holiday um, and you go from an elite, elite, elite on ball and scheme defensive player to Damian Lillard, who obviously is an incredible superstar offensive player, but not good defensively, um, you've still got Giannis. And Brooke Lopez back there where you can funnel action into the paint and let them deter shots. But uh, just as a group, they have not looked good defensively. How big of a problem is that for, for Milwaukee? Yeah, it's it's been kind of glaring here lately. And clearly we know about the problems with Indiana. I mean, that's amazing. They lose to Indiana four times in the first 56 days of the season. It's really incredible. And they were exposed a little bit in that matchup. Now, Indiana is difficult and they're different the way they play anyway. But I think what it showed me was a couple things. One, yeah, you definitely miss Drew Holiday. That's, that goes without saying. Damian Lillard is just not going to give you quite as much effort on that end. He's just not. He, you know, In Portland, you didn't notice it as much because you knew he was going to go 30-35 and he was going to be the show on that end. And he had guys to protect him on the other end. And he maybe he thought that would be the case in Milwaukee too. But this isn't as good a defensive team. I think Middleton has lost a little bit of his defensive prowess as he's dealt with injuries and gotten a little bit older. He's just not as laterally quick as he used not to be. Because I had confidence in Chris Middleton guarding the elite level wings in this league that could go get their own shot. He's he's like a little like a half a step behind what he used to be in guarding those guys, and so he gives him more room, or he's he's late to get off the floor to contest. 
Um, I think playing two bigs the way they do. And Giannis is a big, obviously he's super athletic and he's you know defensive player of the year, but he's a big dude, man. He's got giant feet. And and you're get, he and Lopez together, like running back in transition where you're playing so many teams that are running right to the three-point line. I think they've been exposed a little bit as a little bit lumbering defensively. They're not as quick as they used to be. And it's it's become a problem when you play some of these high-powered teams. Um, they've been incredible offensively, and ultimately maybe that gets them through, but they're definitely susceptible defensively uh, to a team like even Philadelphia, if that's where the team they ended up getting, and certainly Boston, the way that they play. So I've got some concerns about the Bucs. I thought when they got Lillard, they, had a, they were going to have a great chance to win another championship, for Giannis. I'm concerned about them, and I think clearly they're not on the level of Boston right now. Yeah, when you look at Malik Beasley, who's one of the – uh, poor wing defenders in the league having to be their stopper on the wing. You're, you're just not setting yourself up for success. But the problem is they don't really have any draft picks, any players or contracts to be able to move to get a guy. Um, you know, they're a little bit front court heavy with Giannis, with Bobby Portis, with Brooke Lopez. And I think they're going to be good enough to get to, you know, the conference finals if things break right. But I think they've got some, some real work to do um, and just, to lock in defensively. I know that they have the foundation that can kind of help them at least compete with some of these teams. And obviously their clutch play is a huge factor. Like if they, if you're in a game close with them, like they're probably going to win it with Damon and Giannis and just the ability to get a basket or at least a good look pretty much every time in pick and roll with them. Uh, but I agree. I mean, I, I just have questions about how real this can be, how sustainable it can be come playoff time. Uh, but there's a team in the league who I'm not worried about. At the, on that level, on that end, and that's the Boston Celtics, who are first place in the East, 28-7, and 6-1 and one in the last two weeks, first in net rating, second in offense, second in defense, and they are just, I don't know, is the most complete team in the league uh, too far of a stretch? No, this is the best team in the NBA, and, you know, you know, Denver is, is, is clearly – the team we look at is having that core continuity. They won a championship. You're, you're with me today, Tim. You're not with, with Adam. You can, you can slander Denver <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> it's just like, I just, I, I'm so respectful of the Denver Nuggets. I, you know, you don't want to. You just, have to be. You know, but right now as we sit here, I don't, I don't think you can debate Boston's been the best team in the NBA to this point. And they should be. Look what they did in the offseason. You go out and you add Drew Holiday, you add Kristaps Porzingis. So you replace Scott, a guy like Derek. Derek Smart or Marcus Smart, who, you know, was like the heart and soul defensive for this team. Well, gosh, we can't have Marcus Smart. How do we replace that? Oh, well, let's go get maybe arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA in Drew Holiday, who, by the way, is also a better offensive player. Oh, and then how do we replace Robert Williams and his rim protection? Well, why do we go get a guy that's top 10 in blocks every year in Porzingis, who is a much better offensive player than Robert Williams? So you didn't give up much defensively, if anything, and you got significantly better offensively. Um, and and you still have Derek White in the mix as the big X factor in the East, who just is sensational, his impact on the game every night. What they can do defensively with Brown, Tatum, Porzingis, Holiday, and White is just different than any other team in the NBA right now. And then on the other end, you've got your top players. I think their top six scorers are all 45% above from the field. So, so everybody's efficient in the way that they do it. There's one thing that concerns me about the Boston Celtics. The nights I watch them hunt three-point shots to such an extent that you bail teams out for not having to guard you, they make themselves vulnerable. And that's the only that's the only nitpicky thing I have with them. 
I think Missoula will be much better in the playoffs this time around. I thought he had some, he uh, had a hard time dealing with some of the pressure of that situation a year ago as a young coach, first time going through it. He'll be much better this time around. He's got more buttons to push because he's got more versatility. I just, that's the only time I watch them sometimes and they'll take six straight threes. And I'm like, man, you didn't really even make anybody work defensively to guard you. That's the only question mark around this team because they've got everything it takes to go win a championship and, and finally get Jason Tatum a ring. Yeah, 27th in percent of field goals coming at the rim, 15th in the league in free throw attempt rate. And, you know, they're a good enough shot making team that it might not matter. But I totally agree that, you know, they're going to need to be able to generate that kind of sustainable offense. Every team does if you want to get to that level. So, um, yeah, maybe it's a matter of not hunting threes as much. Maybe it's a difference in, you know, spacing on the floor. But to me, like, the idea of getting a, a real five-out offense is to be able to open up those driving lanes. And I think that they leave a little bit on the table by not taking that. But ultimately, I mean, you look at them, you look at the, the Bucks, two teams that, you know, were right there last year. I mean, the Bucks obviously lost in the first round, but like they're coming off a championship in recent years. And to, to be constantly in that top two, top three, and still say, you know what, we're not good enough. Let's go out and make a big move to help put us over the top. You have to respect that in teams. We'll see what the Celtics do here in the trade deadline in the coming weeks. But that wraps us up, Tim. Uh, just awesome learning from you and, and talking hoops, talking Eastern Conference. Uh, for everybody listening, make sure you hit the like for us on the way out. Subscribe to the All NBA podcast and check us out at CHGO if you're interested in the Chicago Bulls. We've got pre and post game coverage tonight for the game against the Hornets. Tim's, thanks so much. Love talking with you. Emma, thank you to you. And we will talk to you guys next time. Mm-hmm.